five, four, three, two, one. This is Joel Schumacher, the director of Batman Forever, and I'm assuming you're interested in this movie or else you wouldn't be listening to my droning voice, so I'll try to make it as interesting for you as possible. My job was to, in a sense, reinvent, refresh the Batman franchise, and uh, we started off with these titles, which were done by Anthony Goldschmidt, a uh, brilliant designer. Here's the new bat suit. And when Jose, our sculptor, and Bob Ringwood, our brilliant costume designer, built this suit, I had absolutely no idea that putting nipples on the bat suit would become international headlines. I think people have to get out more often. This is the new bat cave that we did. for the new Batman and uh, the new Batmobile. There's Val Kilmer. Can I persuade you to take And the great Michael Goff. Michael Goff, as you probably know, is one of the greatest actors and greatest English actors. And I grew up on a lot of Michael Goff's earliest work in the late 50s and 60s, some of the great Hammer classic gothic horror films. Here's our Gotham City at night. I think it borrows heavily from Japan, (laughs) from Tokyo at night. But I wanted to give you the colors of a comic book and also to show you perhaps a Gotham City that maybe is reminiscent of your early comic book days. You're counting on the winged Avenger to deliver you from evil, aren't you, my friend? Here's the great Tommy Lee Jones. I had just finished working with him in The Client in Memphis, Tennessee, with Susan Sarandon and Brad Renfro, a John Grisham bestseller. And I asked Tommy to play Harvey Dent, who is also, as you probably know if you're a Batman fan, Harvey Two-Face. Here's one of Bob Ringwood's brilliant costumes, which is the schizophrenia of Harvey. One half of him is the district attorney and distinguished lawyer. And the other half, which we're about to show you. Stupid, simple, doodah, clueless. He's a madman. And that makeup is a combination of Rick Baker and V. Neal. Two legends in our business. If you're a prosthetic makeup fan, you probably know their work from many other movies. It's like the touch of God. That's Joe Grafasi, a wonderful character actor playing the security guard. The purpose here is to get you right into the story. 
I actually shot, maybe it'll be on the DVD, I actually shot a scene of Harvey escaping from Arkham Asylum at the beginning, but cuts were made to make sure the movie was a two-hour movie, but also to get you right into the story. Hot entrance. Two-Face. Two guards are dead. He's holding a third hostage. Didn't see this one coming. We should have, though. The second... Here's the very beautiful Nicole Kidman. I'm sure she needs no introduction to you. I had been a fan of her since Dead Calm, an Australian film she did when she was 19. And I met her when I was casting Flatliners. She came in for the part that I eventually gave to Julia Roberts. I knew I was in the presence of beauty and talent the second she walked in the room. And we, over the years, had become friends socially. And I was really thrilled that she said yes, she would be in Batman. I wanted to have a very beautiful leading lady who also was a wonderful actress. There were some people at Warner Brothers who didn't want me to cast Nicole because they thought she wasn't sexy enough. They've since changed their mind. Really? I didn't know that. You are interesting. One of the great things about Val in the Batman suit is Val had a terrific jaw and lips, and of course that's, that and his eyes are the only thing you really get to see in the Batman costume. Contrary to popular belief, we did not have that much money to make this movie, and so we used a lot of real locations combined with CGI. Very punctual, even for his own funeral. Boys, kill! Here's Harvey's posse. And what you're about to see, Val actually did a great deal of some of the martial arts you're going to see right now, which I have to say was extraordinary because the bat suit, which you probably know is all sculpted rubber, weighs at least 50 pounds, and you really can't breathe in it. The cowl and the cape weigh at least another 50 pounds, and the cape is such heavy rubber, it pulls your neck back, which is very uncomfortable. And Val did a lot of this himself, which was very admirable, and probably a good way to lose weight, too. All of our visual effects were done by um, John Dykstra. Here's some of our bat toys that Batman keeps on his handy utility belt. Keith Campbell and Alex Daniels, two extraordinary stuntmen, fill in for Val most of the time in the rest of the film because they do some very dangerous things. But some of the hand-on-hand combat Val did himself. I wanted to give you a real comic book action sequence in the beginning of this movie so you could sense that we were going to be hopefully on a fun ride. I must say that none of us expected or were prepared for Batman Forever to be as successful as it was. There was a feeling that Batman Returns didn't live up to some people's expectations. Some families felt it was too dark. I did not agree with them. I mean, that's not my business, really. But I felt that, you know, nothing's going to destroy the 
Batman legend or potential. And for me, growing up on Batman comics as a kid, this was great fun to be able to do a comic book. We open that safe. We'll have everything we ever wanted. And if cash to rain down upon fair Gotham, a glorious flood of chaos. And of course, you, my boy, dead. <laughs> oh, oh no! It's boiling acid. For your dying pleasure, we are serving the very same acid that made us the men we are today. <laughs> I think it's great when you can get wonderful actors to be in a comic book because I think they add a certain weight to the characters that's beyond just the cartoon. And I don't have to tell you about Tommy Lee Jones' accomplishments as I'm sure you've seen him in at least a dozen movies. You have to borrow this. Do not shoot ever in a space this size <laughs> with two actors and some special effects, some running, running red water, and a guy in a hundred-pound rubber suit. It's not fun for anybody. Of course, most of this is done on a soundstage with Gotham City filled in with CGI. I had never done an action movie and certainly never done anything this size so all of this was an amazing learning experience and exciting you can use your imagination I was shooting a client down in Memphis Tennessee while I was preparing this movie and the client like most John Grisham books is trying to give you a sense of real city real people in a real place and it was fun to have a fantasy city with fantasy people. And I'm sure some people have had some fantasies about Nicole Kidman. And Val Kilmer, too, I'm sure. This city was created by Barbara Ling, our brilliant production designer. I had done Falling Down with her, which of course, if you ever saw it or will see it, is an attempt to tell you the story of a, a real person on the streets of L.A. But I knew that Barbara had great imagination and great potential to do many other things, and she certainly is a, a young woman of great integrity and imagination, great talent. I admire her very much, very strong human being, and she designed Gotham City. The only thing I asked her for is to give the city a personality, to use faces and the human forms so we wouldn't just have monolith city or gothic gargoyles, but have some human forms. So all of this is just an attempt to give you a fun ride, certainly to establish. We've already established Commissioner Gordon, played by the great Pat Hingle, a legend. Also someone that, growing up in movie theaters, which I did constantly, I was just such a fiend to watch movies. I'd seen Pat Hingle in 
some of his most extraordinary performances when he was younger. So we've established Commissioner Gordon, we've established Chase Meridian, a character that was created by Janet and Lee Batchelor, who wrote the first draft of Batman Forever. She was their invention. She's not from the comic book. <laughs> There's Harvey's a yin and yang sign. That's right out of the comics also. Poor Statue of Liberty. It's interesting, I was just thinking, watching this, pre-September 11th, this was all fun and games. I'm not so sure after September 11th we would have wanted to do anything like that. It's amazing how that image takes on a whole new meaning. Despite a valiant effort last night by... Here is... The Gotham City we designed for you in the daytime, because you don't get to see Gotham City very often during the day. And this is a combination of Barbara Ling's design and John Dykstra, who is a legend. You know, he worked on the original Star Wars, and he's a legend in the visual effects world. And you may know him from Spider-Man. And he helped design that city and make it happen with Barbara. Hello, Fred. Your inspection for the department. Here's Wayne Enterprises, and here is, I don't think Jim Carrey needs much of an introduction to anyone. Jim had just done Ace Ventura. I had known Jim since around 1983 when he was a stand-up comic. I was doing a small film, my second film, DC Cab, and Jim came in for an audition. And he was so brilliant I had no role for him because it was so obvious. You either did the tour de force of Jim Carrey or... You didn't, but to just squeeze him into an ensemble to play an ordinary guy, I thought was unfair to such a burgeoning, young, brilliant talent. But we had stayed friendly over the years, and he had done Ace Ventura and was about to go off to do Dumb and Dumber, and I asked him to play the Riddler, and he was dying to play the Riddler. So here you see the beginning of the Riddler, Edward Nigma. Work, Edward. And some people have been trying to keep us apart. That's the great Ed Begley Jr., who was in one of my first TV movies. Ed, you may know, is a famous conservationist and has had an electric car for years and really works very hard to keep the environment clean. And uh, we have made a lot of advances in Los Angeles, and Ed's been very, very, very aggressive about trying to control industry and keep the air clean. The Riddler is a mind game, and so this was an invention that we sort of all came up with, The Bachelors and Akiva Goldsman, who eventually came in and worked on the screenplay, that if Harvey Two-Face was going to be a very violent criminal, that Edward Nigma as the Riddler would be you know, a mind game criminal, so that it would be they wouldn't conflict with each other. And there also was an extreme desire on my part to not have Batman murder a lot of people because I know that a lot of children go to see Batman. And that might sound goody-goody to you, but I'm sure you understand why. So what you'll see by the end of the film is most of the villains sort of hoist themselves by their own petard or we find a way around it so Batman doesn't have to shoot guns or, you know, only murder. 
And, of course, the purpose of this scene is to see the seeds of Edward Nigma's desperate, egomaniacal insanity. And that he so desperately would like to be Bruce Wayne, that somehow Bruce Wayne represents everything that he is not, and that he's a lonely, undiscovered genius. But Bruce Wayne should have said yes. All right, everyone, back to work. We'll discuss this later. You were supposed to understand. And I think like a lot of stalkers, I think that his adoration and love of Bruce Wayne has now turned to vengeance. Here's another wonderful Barbara Ling creation. This great office. I would like to actually have this office. All of these things are designed just to give you a ride, just for you to have some fun eating your popcorn, hopefully to give you your money's worth when you come to see the Batman Forever movie. For my money, I think Val was the best Batman. I think that he, there's an intensity and a dark inner spirit that Val really touched on and still was handsome and charming and amusing. Commissioner Gordon? He's at home. I sent the signal. What's wrong? Last night at the bank, I noticed something about Two-Face. His coin. I think this is the scene that the studio decided that Nicole was sexy enough for the movie. I think they, this is where they came around. <laughs> Sometimes you have to fight very hard to get certain actors in a film. It's very nice when sometimes the people who write the checks to make the movies see that you haven't been insane, that your casting choice was appropriate for the film. In grade school, it was guys with earrings, college, motorcycles, leather jackets. Now? Akiva wrote some wonderful lines in this scene. <laughs> I also feel, because a lot of children go to see Batman, their parents go, and also a lot of adults like Batman, and a lot of teenagers. So some of these scenes are on the edge enough with innuendo and sexuality so that hopefully an adult can enjoy them and hopefully fun enough so little kids don't run out of theater screaming. I've done my homework. Or do I need skin-tight vinyl and a whip? I haven't had that much luck with women. Maybe you just haven't met the right woman. I just thought I'd let you enjoy this moment. I saw the signal. What's going on? Nothing. <clears throat> False alarm. Are you sure? When we had our first research screening of Batman Forever, I believe it was in San Diego. It was extremely successful, except 
Some of the cards, I think women over 55 felt Nicole was too sexually aggressive. So it went from she wasn't sexy enough to she was too sexy. But I assured the studio that I didn't think our sole demographic was lovely ladies over 55. I thought that would be a slim audience for Batman forever and that no one else would mind. So I think they felt assured. I'll show you it works. What the hell is going on here? I told you this project. This is where I believe this would be called in screenwriting class or in the dramatist guild where the worm turns. Needless to say, Jim is enjoying this. I can't say enough about Jim Carrey's dedication and professionalism. Jim was up all night rehearsing in front of a mirror. All of his nuances, all of his choices. He would come in every day with ideas that he had worked on and would have done 5,000 takes if I would let him because he's a perfectionist and wants every detail. And I'll tell you much more of this when he actually becomes the Riddler. Losing resolution. Ooh, more power. This is just an invention of ours, which is a way for people in Gotham City to experience 3D television, but also it robs you of your mind. I think there are a few metaphors in there, don't you? Edward Nagmont, come on down! You're the next contestant on Brain Drain! I'm G U I'll take what's inside. Thick skull number one! What have we got Ooh. for him, Johnny? <laughs> More visual effects by the great John Dykstra. That's a terrific actor hanging out of the TV set named Jack Betts. He was in Falling Down. We killed him on a golf course. If you've ever seen Falling Down, Michael Douglas definitely terrorizes two golfers on the Bel Air golf course. And he also played Mrs. Christian's butler in a film, the film I did after Batman and Robin, which is 8mm. He's a very distinguished actor, but can also play comedy. I'm sucking up your IQ. Vacuuming the cortex. Feeding off your brain. Jim is having a field day, being Jim Carrey. <laughs> I'm really not laughing at my own movie. I'm really laughing at Jim. I can't think of too many people that could have made this scene work. You basically just have two extraordinary actors in the same position... And just their acting gifts, their talents, have made the scene happen. And then, of course, John Dykstra added his brilliant visual effects. But it's basically two actors standing on a stage making this preposterous dialogue and concept work. So I know somewhere in the 40s, one of the great directors, and I can't remember who it was, I once read said that 90% of directing is casting. And I really feel that about my movies. I think one of the reasons why I'm sitting here with the career I have today is because I've been so lucky to get these great casts. Because once you say action, these are the people that are making it work for you. 
And I respect my actors enormously and have always learned from them. And I just try to create a safe place for them to create. Should I say? Well, gee, this was before Donald Trump even. You're fired. I guess we could have done the Edward Nigma apprentice. Well, more special effects. If, of course, as you probably figured out by now, we're just standing on a set and all of that water that was created under Wayne Enterprises, the dam. Questions, Mr. Wayne. My work raises too many questions. Why hasn't anybody put you in your place? Harvey Dent. Getting crazier. This is a right out of the comic books. This is one of the classic inventions of Harvey Dent, where a mobster who's on the stand when Harvey Dent was district attorney, threw acid on his face, and obviously it damaged some of his brain, too, because then he went from being a good guy in Gotham City to a malevolent evil force. Here's the great Pat Hingle. Why? Oh, why? Just can't believe it. Michael Paul Chen is the American Asian actor that Jim is acting with. He played the Korean grocer in Falling Down. A lot of times I've been lucky enough to get the same wonderful actors to come back and do other roles. Exactly. As does sentence structure and spelling. <laughs> I couldn't possibly continue on here. The, um, the young woman the African-American actress who plays Bruce Wayne's assistant in... Uh, oh, you'll see John Favreau in this scene. Right of far to your left is John Favreau when he was just starting out. Doing almost a walk-on, but, um, but a great walk-on. And anyway, the lovely African-American actress who plays... Bruce Wayne's assistant is Kimberly Scott. She had you see her here, and she did a magnificent job in Flatliners. She played a young woman whom Kevin Bacon had terrorized when they were children in school, and he goes back to apologize to her. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. And here's the beginning of the Riddler's tricks. And one of the great things about working on a movie like Batman Forever is it attracts so many talented artistic people that come to you every day with great ideas because just the idea of working on a comic book sparks people's imaginations. Here's an example when you saw Kimberly Scott then. She's extremely unglamorous in Flatliners and extremely glamorous in this movie, so it shows you, as you know, how, oh, I love this song. This is Flaming Lips.
And of course, he has the clapper. This is Edward Neger's little apartment. So you can really imagine how much fun it is to make up this stuff, like where would Edward Nigma live and what would it be like? The Laming Lips is one of my, they're one of my favorite groups. And then we had to sort of give you, well, how did he get this costume? Why is he suddenly wearing a green costume with question marks all over it? Where did that come from? And so the amusement park fortune teller was a way to get you into it. It's just to, to give it some kind of credibility. The Wayne Manor Gates, shot on the back lot. The actual Wayne Manor was a beautiful house in Long Island, New York. So you've got Jim on the back lot looking through two big gates that have been placed there between two fake trees. And what he's really looking at is a cut from New York on Long Island. And the two horses that you saw in the foreground, of course, Barbara Ling's invention. The question mark became one of the selling points of the movie. They used it on all of the one sheets that you saw in theaters, and it, you know, certainly came a big merchandising item that all of those people grasped onto. This is the very early days of filming. We started in New York. This is a fantastic old building down in the court district. Of course, we couldn't have afforded to build a set like that, especially for a moment. And we were able to use this great old building. I think this is the first day of shooting, actually. Could have been the first day of shooting. The first night of shooting, I think, will come up later. And this was just a way to show you that when Bruce Wayne wanted to be Batman, as in breaking down the door, that... He was that kind of guy. One of the things I liked very much about the character that the Bachelors had started creating with Chase Meridian was that she was definitely her own person and was not just the kind of wilting, shivering violet in the corner, that she had a real sense of self. A progressive, modern woman, I think, one might say. So the punching bag was a lot of fun. And also, very few people would look as good in that leotard as Nicole. I have often been criticized for objectifying men and women sexually in my films. I have yet to find out what the bad part of that is. I don't know what, and so the bad part of that is, and maybe you can fill that in. I also grew up at a time when the screen was filled with Marlon Brando, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, Kim Novak, Paul Newman, Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn. You know, not only some of the greatest actors in Hollywood history, but also magnificent-looking people. And I have always been inspired by that. And when the story calls for it, why not have wonderful actors who also are wonderful looking. He's obsessed with you. His only escape may be to purge the fixation. To kill me. I think you understand obsession better than you let on. <laughs> <laughs> 
You have a thing for bats? Well, that's a Rorschach, Mr. Wayne. An ink blot. People see what they want. I think the question would be, do you have a thing for bats? The whole bat culture was fascinating to, you know, read about. There's a great deal written about how intelligent bats are and what all their... Because so many people fear bats that it was interesting to find out how smart they really were and about how their radar works. And, of course, some people know all this, and I didn't know as much about it. I know that Soundstorm, which designed our sound on this film, they actually went down to a bat cave in Puerto Rico and recorded the sounds of bats. What is it you really came here for? Yikes. Time's up. That's usually my line. Listen, I'd love to stay here chatting. Mm, Would you? I'm not so sure. I've really got to get you out of those clothes. Excuse me? And into a black dress. Tell me, doctor, do you like the circus? When Michael Keaton and Warner Brothers decided to part ways and I was asked to find a new Batman, I chose Val Kilmer. I had just seen him in Tombstone. And that's how that choice came to be. Here's our circus, our Gotham City Circus, more of a use of the human form as architecture. I had never done a circus before. This is our... Now, the Gossip Gertie, who is the, the very attractive blonde lady interviewing Bruce and Chase, is Bob Kane's wife. You probably know that Bob Kane created Batman in 1939, and his lovely wife, Elizabeth Sanders, graced us with her presence as Gossip Gertie. The Flying Graysons! This is right out of one of the oldest comic books about Batman, and it is the introduction of Robin and the circus family, the trapeze, all of this is in the comic books. And um, there's the great Chris O'Donnell, one of the greatest guys you will ever meet. His whole family is great. Now he's a father himself with three children, but he was engaged to his now wife, Carolyn, then, and comes from a great family from Chicago. Of course, Chris is not actually doing all the trapeze stunts. That is the world-famous Mitch Gaylord. Mitch Gaylord is a famous Olympic athlete and also a terrific guy. He did most of Chris's doubling. I'd like to. I, I, I love climbing. I mean, I really love it. But? I've met someone. That's fast work. You just moved here. Well, you could say he just kind of dropped out of the sky. This is one of those double identity themes that's gone on since movies began, since stories began, where the heroine actually doesn't realize the man who's hitting on her is the man she's in love with, Batman. But always good for storytelling. The awe-inspiring death drop. Without the safety of a net. Of course, working with these trapeze artists, doing this sequence, you're just in awe of their talents. And 
a good opportunity for dastardly deeds. So these fine actors and artists represent Dick Grayson's family. As you know, probably know Robin's real name is Dick Grayson. And there are parallels to Batman's story in the sense that you have a young man. Of course, Bruce Wayne was a child, but you have murder of his entire family in front of his eyes and and that gave us a good parallel story for Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson's characters to develop more about that here's the evil Harvey Two-Face I think sometimes when you're dealing with very serious profoundly talented actors when they can be in a comic book it gives them a sense of release a sense of over-the-top self-expression that wouldn't be called for in a normal role New act for your personal amazement we call it massacre under the big top <laughs> if we may direct your attention to the middle of the center ring Inside this harmless-looking orb are two, that's 200 sticks of tea in. There are about 500 extras in this scene. I don't think I'd ever done anything this size before. And I have to say something now about background artists. Background artists really form part of the tapestry of our films, and they're really not extras for us. They're really background actors because they react and sometimes react the way the audience reacts in the sense they're giving you a sense of fear or humor or they're an audience in a sense. Batman, you have two minutes. And of course, here's Val's vain attempt in the middle of screaming in chaos to sacrifice himself to save everyone in the circus. Gosh, when I look back at this now, she looks like a lot of work. <laughs> but it was fun. It was more fun than I thought it was going to be. It was uh, very daunting for me to go from relatively intimate films to something this size, but I had a lot of help. And Peter McGregor Scott, who was our producer, had done many large films, and he was very helpful. And as I said before, it attracts a lot of great talent, and people work very hard. And much is made in the movie industry sometimes about people's nightlife. But the majority of people who make movies just go to work early, you know, and then sometimes go to work in the middle of the night, you know, work their butts off and go home. Perhaps the wilder side of our industry gets the publicity. This is all on a soundstage, uh, as you can imagine, at Warner Brothers. This was a relatively inexpensive set because, as you can see, the walls are just fabric because it's a tent. So it gave us the opportunity to do the big black and white stripes very comic booky, very graphic, 
but also we didn't have to build walls, and the walls cost more money to build than the silk tent. Probably not real silk. And here's the demise of the Grayson family. In a PG-13 movie, of course, you're not going to show the horror of this whole family hitting the circus floor. Dick Grayson saves the day, saves Gotham City. Well, the circus, anyway. But that's the price he pays. And, of course, in the legend of Batman, who could understand this moment more than Bruce Wayne? The score is by Elliot Goldenthal. Elliot had not done a lot of it. Elliot is a very serious composer, had done a symphony, which was, in a sense, an interpretation of Vietnam. He had done, I think, one or two movie scores, and the minute I heard his music, I thought he would be brilliant for Batman Forever. He's a very complex musician. Bruce, good of you to take him in. The exterior of Wayne Manor, as I told you, is in Long Island. The day that we shot this, the light was just perfect, but they had neglected to bring his motorcycle out to the set. So Peter McGregor Scott made two phone calls and grabbed a motorcycle somewhere, but we wouldn't have been able to do this scene in that beautiful golden light if Peter McGregor Scott hadn't acted quickly. Those things happen on movies. You spend all this time preparing. There's a special motorcycle built for Chris O'Donnell's character, and then someone forgot to put it on the truck. I don't know if any heads rolled, but needless to say, there was a frantic moment as the light was perfect. Stephen Goldblatt shot this film, and he's one of my favorite cinematographers. And one of the earliest movies he did was The Hunger, which is a wonderful Tony Scott, or maybe Tony Scott's first film. It's a vampire film that's very, very, very stylish and has been copied and emulated a million times. And Stephen just did Closer last year and Angels in America also. I don't need your advice. And I don't need your charity. It's a nice bike. Hang out at a lot of biker bars, Bruce. So you're almost on empty. Why don't you fill it up in the garage? There's not a gas station around here for miles. One of the problems is, how does Robin get his name? So we put a Robin on his helmet so it would seem that he was that his father had a nickname for him, which was to fly like a Robin when he was on the trapeze. You kind of search very hard to make up these things so that it gives some kind of meaning, even though you're doing a comic book, you're trying to give intelligent rationale so that, and for the actors too, a lot of vintage, incredible motorcycles you're looking at here. Some of them are very famous. I am not a motorcycle aficionado, but I know there are some really legendary ones in this room right now. It's interesting because when you 
rent these for the day. The owners come with them and they don't let them out of their sights because they're all collector's items. Is the young master leaving? Pity. I'll just toss this away then. Perhaps the dogs are hungry. The great Michael Goff, who can do no wrong. Wait up. Here's another one of Barbara's sets. The largest sets were built at the Spruce Goose. And for some of you who've now seen The Aviator or know about it, Howard Hughes built a plane called the Spruce Goose. And the hangar that it was kept in, in Long Beach, is big enough to do the largest sets. Some of the sound stages at Warner's were fine for the smaller sets, but when you get into real size, they weren't high enough. Tim Burton did a version of this. This is, you know, part of the Batman legend, which is Bruce Wayne's father and mother being shot in front of him. This is right out of a comic book. This we made up, which is a flashback to the funeral. And to, just to give you a feeling of what it would be like to be a child this age and have the responsibility of not only being an orphan, but of inheriting the Wayne money, the Wayne business, the fear and loneliness to be a child that age. And um, I lost my own father when I was four, and I think it's something you carry with you. Any of you who are listening to this who've lost anybody close, you know what it's like. And if you've lost a parent when you're young, it's with you, always. And, you know, part of this is to show you, you know, sort of the mystery and the pain of Bruce Wayne and that he has a certain amount of guilt about his parents' death. Most children feel they're responsible for a divorce or a death. It's part of the ego of being a child. You think you're the center of the universe, although I know many adults who still think they're the center of the universe. But it's very normal, I think, ordinary, I think would be a better word, that most children think whatever happens that somehow they're to blame. Certainly, sir. Can I help you settle in, Master Grayson? No. Thanks. I, I won't be staying long. Hmm. Is this a Robin? I just love these two guys so much. You know, I cannot tell you what a pleasure it is to go to work with two men like Michael Goff and Chris O'Donnell. Even though there is a great distance in age, they're just two of the finest kindest, hardworking, compassionate people. And then it's always a pleasure to watch talent work. Throw this away, will you, Alfred? I won't be needing it anymore. Oh, Alfred's wiser than Dick Grayson. I'll 
just put it in here. I did have to get rid of these tights at a certain point, though. You know, circus tights. Open wings mend in time. One day, Robin will fly again. I promise. The Bachelors created the beginning of a lot of these characters. Akiva added some of the heart, I'd say, and soul to some of the scenes, especially the scene you just saw. Well, here's part of the fun stuff of making a Batman movie. You know, it's like boys with toys. This is downtown L.A. under that structure. Poor Batman looks like the end. This was just this kind of insane idea I had where... No, not to, not to kill those thugs, <laughs> but... Oh, part of the design here is you see the old cars. You know, there's part of Batman where you don't know exactly what period you're in. You know, so part of Batman Forever is very high tech. And part of it owes a lot to the old Batman comics. Oh, this is a great old kind of Brinks truck that we used for Harvey Two-Face. It's rented from a gentleman in San Francisco named Louis Bennett. It's a great old vintage car. You're not seeing it too well here. Batmobile, of course, we built, and Barbara Ling designed it. <laughs> there you saw a little bit of Harvey Two-Face. So this was just a crazy idea that I had, and some people liked it, so we did it. You're just trying to be inventive with how does Batman get out of this situation and so this is what we decided to do and it was really nice when we first showed the movie to an audience that they all applauded <laughs> of course the car would be completely demolished at this point but hey it's a Batman movie <laughs> Of course, always fun to blow things up. Here is Edward Nigma inventing himself. The puzzler. The gamester. So, I think you probably know what we're doing here. Captain Kill. I don't know how we made movies without computers, because first of all, computers, as you know, have been invaluable in the visual effects world, but also they give you such a personal way into a character. They're kind of like an inner mind, inner thought process. I don't know how we live without computers anyway. <laughs> Thank you. 
Jim's daughter, Jane, was quite young when we did Batman Forever, and I think he enjoyed that, too, because he was able to bring his daughter to the set. Refusal to expire is driving... Part of the fun of doing Harvey Two-Face is, once again, the schizophrenia. So this was Barbara Ling, our production designer's invention for his set and a wonderful set decorator who's no longer with us, unfortunately, named Cricket Rowland, who died way too young. What's your favorite tonight? Sparkling champagne? So Harvey's two girlfriends, the lucky dog, Drew Barrymore is Sugar, and the equally beautiful Debbie Mazur is Spice, but they were actually called Leather and Lace. But Warner Brothers fell for a PG-13 film that leather was a little, uh, let's say, uh, adult. So they were changed to Sugar and Spice from Leather and Lace, but in my heart, they'll always be Leather and Lace. I hope you made extra. Who the hell are you? And so here is the first introduction of the full-blown Riddler. What Jim just did with his cane... And what he does with his hat and all of the tricks he did, he practiced all of those and he's doing them. There's no double for Jim here in these scenes. He's doing all of these things himself. And let me tell you something, it's not easy to do. Stop picking. Oh. Let's see if you bleed green. Harvey! I don't think it's me. Debbie Mazur was a makeup artist for Madonna before she became an actress. I think she has something like an 18-inch waist in her leather bustier. Drew Barrymore and I have been friends since Drew was about seven, eight years old. She came over to me one night in a restaurant. <laughs> that gorgeous, charming child everybody fell in love with in E.T. and told me it was the summer St. Elmo's Fire had come out and she tugged at my sleeve in the Ivy 8 restaurant and told me it was her favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we became friends. There's a lot more to our friendship, some anecdotes and stories, but that's for another time. We're very lucky to have her and Debbie. Lucky to have all this cast. That is a fuel. Spare. Jim's makeup, believe it or not, was harder to do than Tommy's because there's an attempt here to make his face almost perfect like a doll, and that takes a lot of time because it's subtler than doing the prosthetic on Tommy's face, not to take anything away from V. Neal and the artists who made Tommy into Harvey Two-Face. But see, all of that stuff that Jim is doing with hats and canes and body language and props and, and brilliant and witty and funny at the same time and that great body language. I just can't think of anyone else playing the Riddler. It's so you. And yet so <laughs> Very few people are both a summer and a winter, but you pull it off nicely. Tommy had never done this extreme, over-the-top, I guess you would call it comedy, in a sense. And uh, I think it was very new for him, and I think it was a lot easier to do when Jim was there because, you know, Jim not only sets the bar very high, but sets a tone. And I think it helps everyone in the scene. Because, of course, he is really running this scene. 
is your brain on the box? This is my brain on the box. Does anybody else feel like a fried egg? I'll have a bit more, thank you. Oh, there's more. But only the first one's free. And we decided to give the Riddler this sort of pinkish-reddish hair, which, of course, is perfect with the sort of screaming green. Carbon-based life form! And in return, is everybody paying attention? I will help you solve the greatest riddle of all, the mother of all riddles. One of the problems with having two villains is there's a certain moment where you must have them team up against Batman. Otherwise, you're lost in too many separate stories. So this is, of course, a moment where the two baddies come together to decide to, you know, get rid of Batman. And Tails, we blow your damn head off. The coin in the comic books is a very essential part of Harvey Two-Face he flips the coin to see which decision he'll make. If the head comes up, then it's a better decision for the individual. I think he lets you live. And if the damaged side comes up, it's... This was an attempt very much taken from some of the Hong Kong martial arts film where they will take everyday incidents, sewing, mopping, doing laundry, and turn it into a martial arts sequence. And we wanted to establish... That, you know, it's always strange in a movie when somebody who's supposedly an ordinary person suddenly has almost superpowers. The trapeze, the circus life, the agility of Dick Grayson, and then his ability to do, you know, the sleight of hand and all those great movements with the laundry is all to show you he's got this going for him to begin with and didn't just learn it overnight. So this is their little crime spree. I'm sure it was Jim's idea to wear the rhinestone tiara. ...by the city's green-suited menace, resulting in millions in diamonds stolen with no sign of Batman. With two More of Barbaling's great Wayne Manor set. As Gothamites calling him the Riddler. Apparently, you and Batman have a common enemy. More riddles. With the morning mail. The eight of us go forth, not back, to protect our king from the foe's attack. Chess pawns, clock, matches. So, of course, Bruce Wayne is a genius. And so is Alfred. Because actually, they built the car themselves, they made the costumes, they built the Batcave, they do all the technology, they solve all the crimes in Gotham City, they have time to make witty remarks. And of course, they're hiding many secrets. Now Dick Grayson's on to them, though. He's not trusting them. Enigma Tech brings the joy of 3D entertainment into your living room. Ladies and gentlemen... And finally, Edward Enigma becomes a big star in Gotham City. And you can see he's trying to emulate Bruce Wayne. The haircut, the clothes, everything about him is trying to copy Bruce Wayne... 
And of course, you know, the new technical invention, invention will become the most popular thing in the world. Turns Gothamites into zombies. But Edward Nigma just shrugs. That's what they said when TV was invented. Which is true. When television first came out, they said it would rob everyone of their senses. And of course it has. This is Edward Nigma's empire. Now, how he built this so quickly, you'll have to figure that out, because I don't know the answer to that. But he's draining the brains of Gotham City, and it's all going into his head. I can't say enough about Jim's talents and the fun it is to work with him. The hardest thing with Jim is to get him to stop, because, as I said, he will do 10,000 takes. This is Mitch Gaylord, doubling for Chris. Actually doing these things right on the set. We're all there watching him. It's quite amazing. And this is Dick Grayson finding the Batcave. Here's part of Elliot's new theme. We have our own theme, and Tim's two films have Danny Elfman's great theme. Elliot Goldenthal is married to another friend of mine, Julie Tamor, who's a brilliant director in her own right. So Elliot and Julie live in New York, and two brilliant people living together. Clinical intuition. I thought your dreams might need changing. My parents were murdered in front of me when I was just a kid. I don't remember a lot of what happened, but what I do comes to me in my dreams, flashes. There's a new element now, though. Here's more heat and development between Val and Nicole. My dreams are coming to me when I'm awake now. Bruce, you're describing repressed memories. Images of a forgotten pain that's... You've got to sit down and say, well, where would Chase Meridian live and what kind of apartment would she have and what would it look like? And Every choice in Batman is like that because you just can't run out on the street and set up a camera and shoot everybody. You have to decide what, I mean, if Batman were to go into a pharmacy and got, well, what would the pharmacy look like? What would the pharmacist look like? And what would actually, to buy an aspirin, what would an aspirin bottle look like in Gotham City? The mural behind Nicole is just a way to keep you visually interested. You know, why not have a mural on the back wall and with a door in it so it's not just a blank wall? Taking your work home, doesn't it, Doctor? All right. This is Bruce Wayne realizing that the woman he desires is in love with Batman. 
It's as if he's cursed to pay some great penance. Now, what crime could he have committed to deserve a life of nightly torture? It's more than just professional interest, isn't it, Jason? And, of course, on one hand, he's thrilled that she's in love with Batman. On the other hand, he can't tell her. Batman. I want to be close, but you won't let me near. What are you protecting? Isn't she beautiful? You want to know me? You want to know who I am? I love the way they played this scene. I guess we're all two people. One daylight and the one we keep in shadow. Rage, violence, passion. Excuse me. Kind of busy. I'm sorry to bother you, sir. I have some rather distressing news about Master Dick. What is he all right? Nicole is also one of the great human beings on the planet, also from a wonderful family in Australia. She has one of the great laughs of all time. She's very, very flirtatious and fun. And she, one day, was... This is a Nicole story. One day we were sitting on the set... And she decided she wanted one of those Starbucks frozen frappuccinos. And she asked me if I wanted one. And I said, sure. She said she was sending Jody, her assistant, to go to Starbucks to get a couple of them. And then she decided, she's asked other people, the script supervisor, Sharon, our cinematographer, Stephen. And then suddenly Nicole said, Jody, why don't you just get one for everyone on the set? And so then an hour later, you know, a hundred frappuccinos came, courtesy of Nicole, but that's the kind of person she is. Batman. Wait a minute. That's not Batman. This was in vogue. These girls were, as you probably know, a real hot singing group at the time. And it had a lot of hit records and they were dying to be in Batman and so we gave them a part playing these sexy street girls. This is a black light sequence. Most of you who've been in nightclubs know what black light is. Everything that is painted here is to respond to the black light. You know, if you've ever been in a nightclub and you see all the white lint on your jacket or your, your teeth shine, particularly in a way that you've never seen before, this is the great Don the Dragon Wilson, a famous, famous martial arts performer. If you are a martial arts fan, you've seen Don the Dragon. Tons of kids came this night to meet Don the Dragon. All the kids that study karate, all the kids that have their yellow belts or whatever the kids' form of the famous karate belt is. This was just a way to give you a street fight that maybe you hadn't seen yet. That was also comic booky, but the black light gives it an intensity and... Here's the great Don in action. Come on, run! Wait, doesn't Batman ever kiss the girl? Go. Thanks, you saved my life. I could definitely get into the superhero gig. This is shot on the back lot of Warner Brothers. 
I don't know which movie this was built for, but there was yeah, a whole bunch of fire escapes and looks very West Side Story. That's Alex Daniel that was in the suit descending. This, of course, is Val. Bastard! It should have been you! It's your fault! If you don't told stupid... Of course, Dick Grayson blames Batman for his parents' death because, if you recall, in the circus scene, Harvey Two-Face demanded that if Batman showed himself, he would not blow up the tent. And if you remember, Bruce Wayne did try and nobly sacrifice himself, but the crowd was screaming and yelling. He never heard him. So, of course, he's blaming him in vain. I imagined it was him that I was fighting, even when I was fighting you. And all the pain went away. It's to show his anger and also to show his desire for vengeance here. Good. Because you got to help me find him. And when we do... I'm the one who kills him. And this is just an attempt to give you a story here and to show you that because Bruce Wayne's whole life has been based on vengeance because of his parents' death, which had made him into Batman, that he doesn't want Dick Grayson to go down the same road. And he's explaining to him how hollow vengeance really is, that you really actually can never make up for your parents' murders. And you think you can but it will run your life and you won't know why you can't understand your family wasn't killed by a maniac so even though it's a comic book we're trying very hard to give you some sense of depth to these characters some sense of who they are as human beings so that hopefully there's a story for you as well as some fun and games I can't you still have a choice. Look, Bruce, I'm a part of this whether you like it or not. Having never done a Batman movie before and having been told repeatedly that the franchise was dead and that no one was interested in another Batman movie, we had no idea that this would be accepted. Certainly never at the level it was accepted at and that it would be the, the biggest money-making film of that year, 95. All of Gotham society has turned out for Edward Nigma's gala unveiling of his new improved box. Thanks, Al. My pleasure, sir. A lot of people have commented on the dress that Nicole is wearing in this scene as a beautiful dress. It's not the dress, it's Nicole's body. It's really just a bathing suit kind of dress where it's just a little tube and she's poured into it. Just a little compliment to Nicole there. Speaking of beautiful women in dresses, that's our Drew. Edward, how does it feel to be the city's newest, most eligible bachelor? Gotham must know. Oh, there's Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Oh, Eddie, he is too cute. How come you don't look so good in that suit? Shut up. So here is, of course, Jim trying to be Val. Wayne, 
Mr. Wayne, what about rumors of Enigmatech takeover of Wayne Enterprises? Enigmatech stock is outselling Wayne Enterprises two to one. Are you yesterday's news, Bruce? Yes, yes, yes. Bruce, old man. The press were just wondering what it feels like to be outsold, outclassed, out. This was shot at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood. We could not have afforded another set this size, so we rented out the old theater. This is a very famous theater in Hollywood, for those of you who have never been to L.A. or have never seen it, where in the old, old days of Hollywood, many famous premieres and movies were brought to this theater. I think the Academy Awards might have been here at one time, a long time ago. And it's a great old theater. I would assume it's an architectural landmark. Ladies and gentlemen, the future! My new improved box offers fully interactive holographic fantasy. So here is Edward Nygma's new improved box, where all your fantasies come true. Oh, that's his fantasy. Anyway. Dashing and a genius. How do you create these images, huh? Drew was on her way to becoming a really big movie star as a young adult then, so I was very happy she took a relatively supporting role. Fully interactive holographs. Only a high-frequency carrier wave beamed directly into the brain could create such images. Yeah, and you wish you thought of it. Yes, don't be a sore loser, Brucey. Step inside. Give it a try. Edward. Sometimes, with Jim's great talent for humor, I think people forget how good-looking he is. And here, where he's trying to emulate Val, they almost could be brothers. If anyone's looking at the men in this scene, that is. Shall we dance? When Jim was on the set, it was very hard to get the actors to stop <laughs> laughing. It was just before that, when they started dancing, you could see Nicole was about to crack up. I was just, just wondering how you turned it off. Hmm. Clever. Thanks. My pleasure. So beautiful and so bad. Good evening, Mr. Wayne. Relax. Tell me your dreams. This is where Edward Nigma delves into Bruce Wayne's brain. Tell me. scene was so much fun to do. Once again, I can't say enough for the background artists here. All of the people 
that dressed up, looked beautiful, and were our background party goers, did a wonderful job, and first having a good time, and then getting scared and running around, and it looked like Tommy and Debbie had a good time being Bonnie and Clyde, too. That was Keith Campbell sliding down those rails. This is on the back lot. Be calm, everybody! Just be calm! You're ruining my big party! We're sick of waiting for you to deliver the Batman, dear boy. Patience, so bifurcated one. Patience, hell, we want him dead! And nothing brings out the Batman like a little murder and mayhem. <laughs> well, the Pantages is not only beautiful, but Barbara Ling and Cricket Rowan added many of the things. For instance, covering the banister and adding those lights. Now, that's Keith Campbell, who actually crashed through that fake ceiling and lands perfectly, which is amazing. That's Alex Daniel, who's just the second part. Your entrance was good, his was better. Alex is doing this martial arts sequence in a hundred pound rubber suit that doesn't breathe under some of the hottest lights you've ever seen. Showmanship. So these guys are amazing athletes. And how about Keith crashing through that fake ceiling and landing in the middle of that fountain? And they've got to get it right the first time because you don't have another ceiling. Perhaps they'll have me back at Buckingham Palace. So the time had come in the story for Robin to reveal his desire to be Robin. My place, midnight. This brings back so many memories. This must have been Thanksgiving of 1994. Now, this is outside. This was in our first week of filming. This is one of the first scenes that Tommy did. This is outside the Customs House in Lower Manhattan, a magnificent building. That was a CGI shot. Um, that's part of the Customs House. It's a fantastic building. <laughs> And it's John Dykstra's... I think this was the first CG shot of a Batman in our film. And then here we are in sort of a mock subway station. It is another relatively inexpensive way of doing a set in the sense that it's all um, scaffolding and plastic and pieces. Nothing like a bad case again! In uh, one of the Batman comic books, he uses his cape as a shield for fire. I use that as a gimmick here for him to withstand that blast. <laughs> that is Alex Daniel coming out of that fire. That wasn't 
just CGI. There's a real person in a real rubber suit coming out of that fire. Must have been a thousand degrees. There was Alex or Keith right there. I don't remember on that particular day which one of the Batman great stunt people was down there when all that stuff started to fall on them. But they are, as you know, stunt people are amazing. The risks they take and how professional they are and how beautifully they do what they do. And of course, these movies would be nothing without them. Here is the birth of Robin, who, much to Batman's surprise, actually saves Batman. Of course, if you actually pulled someone that way with one hand, your arm would rip out of your <laughs> body, but it is a Batman movie. I need a name. Batboy, Nightwing. I don't know. What do you think? What's a good sidekick name? How about Dick Grayson, college student? Screw you. I just saved your life. You owe me. You are totally out of control. You're going to get yourself killed. You're looking at your new partner. No. Bruce, whenever you go out tonight, I'll be watching. And wherever Batman goes, I'm going to be right beside him. If you've ever had a teenager, this scene will be very familiar. I can stop you. <clears throat> Al, hang this next to the bat suit. Where it belongs. Ungrateful little twerp. And you're encouraging him. Young men with a mind for revenge need little encouragement. They need guidance. You, above all, should know the consequences of the life you choose. Everybody loved Michael Goff. Even Chase calls being Batman a curse. Perhaps the lady is just what the doctor ordered. It's very hard to be Bruce Wayne and Batman. You're young, you're handsome, you're a billionaire, you're a genius. Women are throwing themselves at you. You solve all the crime in Gotham City. And you get to be tortured and screwed up, too. So, kind of have everything. Don't most people you know sleep that way? This is more of Stephen Goldblatt's lighting. I haven't talked much about him, our great cinematographer. But, of course, all of the hard work that everyone puts into movies would be meaningless without the lighting. And this lighting is, is truly beautiful and, of course, adds to the entire mood of the scene. you find it a sexy film but of course because we're doing a Batman film there's really it would have been inappropriate to do really sex scenes in a sense or you know to dwell on it too much but sometimes things are sexy by their implication more from their you know acting out <sighs> I guess a girl has to grow up sometimes 
I've met someone. He's... Here she's actually reversing this now and telling Batman she's in love with Bruce Wayne and not Batman anymore. I'm not going to say she's a woman and she's changed her mind. I'll get bashed for that. So I'm not saying that. Understand. Well. See, he's actually delighted. We got a great reaction in the audience. One of the fun things about doing movies is the first time you show them to an audience if you get great reactions to certain moments. This was fun. That's just what I said. Then I taught my doggy a new trick. How to map the human mind. Would you like to see what our old friend Bruce Wayne has in his head? That was a rubber bat that Rick Baker created that was on a rod, and it was an animatronic, as you've probably come to know that word in, our, in the world we live in. There was actually more of a backstory with the bat and how the bat came to be, but I had to cut the movie down, and I don't know if they will include that in this DVD, but if we find it, we will include it for you. There also was a giant bat that Rick made that Val came face to face with when he was in the bat cave. But as I say, things were cut out for time and to move the story along. Most movies have that concern. You want to keep the motor going in a movie, and sometimes some of your favorite scenes are cut out. And then, of course, the DVD, they had them all back in again. So I don't know if they'll find them all for this DVD, but those of you who are really interested in Batman films and the lore of how each one was made, we will try to find as much material as we can for you. Exactly. Then you'd be alone, like me. Now you've got to let this go. Listen to me, Dick, I'm your friend. I don't need a friend right now, all right? I need a partner. Two-Face has got to pay. And, of course, in the dynamic of their relationship, all Bruce Wayne is doing is trying to stop Dick from becoming a murderer and becoming a revenge killer. Come on upstairs, we'll talk. So, of course, you have to design a Gotham City cab and, you know, nothing... I love Halloween. It is my absolute favorite holiday and when I can when it's appropriate I always try to add a Halloween scene and <laughs> there's one in St. Elmo's Fire there's one in Flatliners well of course Lost Boys is one big Halloween movie from the beginning to end so I decided to add on this particular night that it be Halloween so we could have some fun with masks etc That was Dick Grayson leaving home. That I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell you something, too. Um, what I wanted... It... <laughs> Go ahead. Go first. All right, okay. Um... Dick! 
Okay, the little boy whose face you saw in the middle coming through the teeth, that's one of Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins' sons. I had just done the client with Susan Sarandon and gotten to know Tim while we were doing the movie, and they asked me if I could put one of their sons in the film, and so that was him. Oh! Don't eat too much tonight, or you'll be sick in your beds. This is one of Elliot's great themes, which is kind of a macabre, insane waltz to punctuate the madness of these two Halloween characters also. one of the first nights of filming on Long Island. Might have been the first time that Tommy and Jim worked together. Bruce, what's wrong? It's happening again. Bruce is haunted by his past. This backstory of his parents' death and what happened the night of the funeral was actually a much longer story in the original script, and we cut it down. It was more of him being scared by bats in the bat cave and his coming terms in this film with the gift the bat had given him when he was young. The night of my parents' wake, the priest's words gave no comfort. Of course, there on my father's desk, the red book, his journal, he'd written in it every day of my life. This is part of his guilt, because he wanted to go to the movies the night they were killed, and so like a lot of children, he blames himself for their death, because if he hadn't wanted to go to the movies... I also figured we'd have to justify how this big cave was under Wayne Manor also. Because, of course, Batman wouldn't have created the cave. He would just have made the cave work for him. It was coming toward me. I was scared at first, but only at first. The figure in the dark was my destiny. That's Rick Baker's rubber bat. It changed my life forever. I would use its image to strike terror into the hearts of those who did evil. I would ensure what happened to me would never happen to anyone else again. I would have my revenge. Bruce, what are you trying to tell me? Jason. And this, of course, is the moment where she realizes that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person because... As Chris Rock said, <laughs> every woman on the planet is a great spy. Of course, she remembered the kiss of Batman, and now she knows it's the same man. 
Once again, every gesture that Jim makes, every movement, every nuance is all planned, is all part of his brilliance. These are not random. If I was a superhero, where would I have? It feels spontaneous, but he works. He's merciless on himself with his demands on his talents. But I respect that enormously. extremely heavy that he was twirling around there as if it was a piece of balsa wood. So here's Harvey trying to get tails so he can kill someone because as long as it's heads he can't kill anyone. Okay, all of these explosions, that's Jim on screen. That isn't a double because there's actually nobody who could really double him. There is a moment at the end, which I'll show you where he's doubled, but no one could wear this suit or look like Jim in this suit either. So that's Jim with explosions all around him, Tommy Fisher, one of the most brilliant people in our industry, a legend in the special effects world. The difference between visual effects and special effects, as you know, is visual effects are all done after the movie's finished. Special effects are done right on the set. So that's the real gym and real explosions. And Tommy Fisher assured me his own children could stand there while they exploded. So I trusted him completely. And so did Jim, or we wouldn't have had this sequence. Once again, Jim on Kane did all that himself, barely ever dropped it. Fun and games for Val and Nicole. fun of the Riddler was making up the riddles and the games that hopefully the audience could guess certain things also. 
I've never been able to solve most riddles, but I know some people are brilliant at it. Master Bruce. Master Bruce. An opportunity for Batman to need Alfred to be wounded, a chance to kidnap Nicole. I'm afraid they've taken Dr. Meridian. Master Dick has run away. The cave has been destroyed. And there's another riddle. the beautiful damsel in distress. I'm coming, my sweet. <laughs> and of course, as <laughs> the jacket that Bob Ringwood made here is just sheer genius. I actually wish I had this jacket. I think they put it on display in all the Warner stores. I think it ran around the world, this jacket. Probably broke down at some point. I'm Of course, in his desire to be Bruce Wayne, he would not only want to conquer Gotham City, but of course also Nicole. Here's a wonderful uh, actor who's been in several of our films. John Fink is standing on that roof with Pat Hingle. If you ever saw Falling Down, he was screaming and yelling in traffic, and he's the man that Michael Douglas punched in the face <laughs> in the traffic jam. He also was a doctor with Kevin Bacon in the first scenes in Flatliners. Chest pawns and vowels have in common. What do these riddles mean? Every riddle has a number in the question, and they arrived in this order. 13, 1, 8, and 5. 13, 1, 8, and 5. What do they mean? Perhaps letters of the alphabet? Of course, 13 is M. 1 would be A, 8 would be H, and 5. These are, of course, part of the riddle. I know there are people who are game masters and create riddles, play word games every day, do crossword puzzles, do anagrams. I have no talent for any of that. Mr. E. Mystery. And another name for mystery? Enigma. Mr. E. Enigma. Edward Enigma. Stickley's suicide was obviously a computer-generated forgery. You really and of course, like most megalomaniacal killers, Edward Nygma cannot resist bragging about himself and sending the clues to Batman. Tonight's a good night. And here's the new Batsuit. This is silver. Right out of the later Batman, you know, later Batman and Robin, who becomes Nighthawk, they become much more stylized. Here's the Batplane, another beautiful invention. And here's Chris, who we always said bribed Jose the sculptor to make a bigger codpiece than Batman had. R. What's that stand for? Robin, Riddler and Two-Face can make a pretty lethal combination. 
figured you could use a hand. Two against two are better odds. I can't promise I won't kill Harvey. A man's gotta go his own way. A friend told me that. Not just a friend. A partner. Just two guys in rubber hanging out in the cave. Beautiful bat plane. Great match shot. Lots of visual effects from John Dykstra. He's not coming. Shut it down. Of course, this is all taking you into our finale. So we had new costumes, some new toys for you. And as I said, everything is, we're just hoping to entertain you and that you've gotten your money's worth. I know that some fans always prefer a much darker Batman, and I certainly love those myself, but there was a request for me to do, you know, one that was lighter so that a larger portion of families could go and kids could have a good time. But I tried to make it possible for adults to enjoy it also. Sweet. And my favorite vitamin, I might add. I always love that the Riddler's lair looks like sort of like a big blender. Part of this was shot in uh, Long Beach, right on the water, right near where the Spruce Goose hangar is, where we shot the larger sets. This, of course, is in a tank. Most of you probably know what that is. A lot of studios have a tank where you can shoot underwater footage. This is your captain speaking. Please return to your seats. We will be experiencing turbulence. <laughs> It just seemed we were always designing things and destroying them. But Batman once again outsmarts the villain. Peter McGregor Scott ran second unit. I don't know if uh, most of you know what second unit is, but there are so many complicated pieces on a movie this size that I can't be all places every moment or the movie would never get finished in time and so many times I'm shooting a scene with the actors Peter might be in Long Beach shooting the boat exploding 
He might be, you know, shooting the wheels of a car, rolling down. He did some of the major pieces for some of the action sequences. He ran that unit, and he's to be applauded. The real game begins. Holy rusted metal, Batman! Huh? The ground, it's all metal, it's... He felt we had to have a holy something line in the movie somewhere because I don't know if it was the television show or the comic book, but it seemed that Robin was always saying holy bat smoke or holy something or other. This was an opportunity to show you that, you know, Edward had built this entire technical hydraulic world where he was impenetrable, invulnerable, and always searching for ways to put Batman in jeopardy in a situation where hopefully you hadn't seen Batman before, where he would have to use his wit, his cunning, his athletic agility to get himself out of it. And then, of course, there are obligatory scenes in a movie. And when the villain has killed your whole family in front of you, at a certain moment in the film, you must face them. And, you know, the audience feels the reckoning. So it gave Chris a chance to do a little headbutting there. a relatively simple cylinder that Barbaling designed with a grating, you know, coming down at Batman at every second, you know, death below and death above at every moment. So he's trapped. Surely he will die. Are you scared? You're a man after our own hearts, son. I'll see you in hell. So here's, of course, an opportunity for Dick Grayson to kill Harvey Two-Face. But he's a better man than Harvey, and he saves him. But then he turns on him. Ah. Uh, the penalty for an innocent heart. The villain turned on him. This was how Batman outsmarts the Riddler's trap, breaks the machine, wrecks the gears, saves himself once again. Maybe this is my favorite set in the film. This is, this is one of Barbara's really ultimate achievements, the sphere with the... And here we thought we'd give you a new costume for the very finale of the movie. This is sort of the Riddler meets Las Vegas, I guess you'd say. New cane, 
new throne. Between you and me. And me! And me! <laughs> you've been sucking Gotham's brainwaves, and now you've devised a way to read men's minds. <laughs> you betcha! Soon my little box will be on countless TVs around the world, feeding me credit card numbers, bank codes, sexual fantasies, and little white lies. Into my head they'll go. Victory is inevitable! For if knowledge is power... Akiva worked with the actors very closely. I did four movies with Akiva, two Grishams, two Batmans. And actors as inventive as this have requirements. They have certain lines they want, and Akiva was very good about that. Started on the client because the character that Susan Sarandon played, you know, she, of course, as a woman, would know more about being a woman than John Grisham or Akiva or Joel Schumacher, and so she had certain research and requests she did, and Akiva worked very closely with her and then made it part of the movie, and he did that with these actors also, spent time with them. Behind curtain number one! The absolutely fabulous Dr. Chase Meridian. She enjoys hiking, getting her nails done, and foolishly hopes to be the love of Bruce's life. <laughs> and behind curtain number two! And this, of course, gives Batman this terrible choice. The woman he loves or his partner. With a girl. <laughs> and below these contestants, my personal favorite. And, of course, the ultimate game from The Riddler. Grave! Just one little touch. And five seconds later, these two day players are golfing on the rocks below. <laughs> Not enough time to save them both. <gasps> Which one will it be, Batman? Bruce's love or the Dark Knight's junior partner? There is no way for me to save them or myself. This is all one giant death trap. Judges! I'm sorry, your answer must be in the form of a question. But thank you for playing. Wait. I have a riddle for you. For me? Really? <laughs> Tell me. How about that cane action? I see without seeing. To me... Darkness is as clear as daylight. What am I? Please! You're as blind as a bat! Exactly. Oh. Just when you thought Batman was lost, didn't you? A lot of that is real on the set. Some of it is visual effects. Some of it is actually happening. You have to have firemen on the set. That's all Jim. There's a moment in this where it melts his brain. There was one moment in the explosion where we had to use a double in his suit, but it's just for a flash of a second and it may have happened already. 
There were a lot of practical jokes on the set, and one of them was when Chris O'Donnell and Nicole were in the tubes. They're very, you know, at least 20 feet above the rest of the set, and they are actually in those glass tubes. And one day, we let Nicole out, and then we said, okay, that's lunch, and shut all the lights off and left Chris in the tube. Of course, we came back and got him, but... You have to entertain yourself sometimes. This was more fun to think up than it was actually to shoot, I have to tell you that. Because there's so many different pieces that had to be done in so many different ways. Also, I think physically impossible at the rate that everyone was dropping for any human being to do that. But hey, it's a Batman movie. One more villain to go. So here was the dilemma. I did not want to have Batman kill the villains. First of all, I didn't want him to actually murder because I thought that Batman should be above that. And so this is a way... So he kind of foils him with his own coins. He's... And there goes Harvey. Also, I did not know there were going to... We did not know the film was going to be successful. We didn't know there were going to be other sequels. I wanted to keep the possibility that villains could come back if Warner Brothers needed them. I did not expect to be doing another Batman movie myself at the time. But I left Harvey. You don't really know if Harvey's dead or not. And Jim certainly is not dead. Or the Riddler, I should say. Why? Why can't I kill you? Too many questions. Too many questions. Poor Edward. I had to save them both. You see, I'm both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Not because I have to be. Now, because I choose to be. An Arkham Asylum has always been a fascination to me in the Batman comics because I guess I probably think I deserve to be in Arkham Asylum. For a consultation, Dr. Meridian. Edward Nigma. This is the great Rene Auberginois, who some of you will know from Star Trek, where he played the shapeshifter, but I've been a fan of his since the very early Robert Altman movies. He's one of the great Hollywood character actors. Edward. This was fun to do. Because, of course, Bruce Wayne is terrified now that Edward Nigma will tell everyone his secret, which is that he's Batman. You remember me? How could I forget? Dr. Burton. I'm a fool for beauty, so beautiful images really 
really thrilled me, and it's just a pleasure to look at Nicole. As it still is to this very day. Edward, please. Who is Batman? I'm Batman. <laughs> This is one of our last days of shooting. I think I bought this coat at the end of the shooting, or a double of it. I loved it so much. Of course, I didn't look as good as Valen. Listen. I won't be needing this anymore. Thank you for... that outfit don't work too late so that was our first attempt to do a Batman film for you so I hope this was of interest and I thank you for spending this much time with me I hope that I was not boring and see you in the movies
to be a gray and tower alone on the sea. Light that you shine can't be seen. 